Welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey where we talk with people who are trying to live their most fulfilling life, which often tends to be on a much different path than it started out on. Whether it was changing careers, getting laid off from a job which sparked their entrepreneurial journey, or breaking through the noise to answer their calling. All of these types of situations and more, but they wouldn't have gotten to where they're at today if they didn't get started. We talk about the why and the how of these getting started moments and the lessons learned along the way. I'm grateful to have you listening in along on this episode, so let's get it started. On this week's episode, I welcome in Daniel Snow, who is the CEO and founder of The Snow Agency, a performance and social media marketing agency that is disrupting the e-commerce landscape for D2C brands. Daniel is a proven expert, having launched and scaled numerous viral e-commerce brands himself over the course of three and a half years, generating over $50 million in revenue without ever receiving funding or a loan. This entrepreneurial foundation is what inspired Daniel to launch the Snow Agency. Daniel is also the founder of Rap TV, a passion project for him, which is the largest hip-hop community in the world. Rap TV has reached viral status with over 13 million followers across own channels and generating 250,000 impressions a week on social media alone. Rap TV builds awareness and cultivates massive followings for large and small hip-hop artists alike. I hope you all enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Daniel. So without further ado, please welcome in Daniel Snow. Daniel, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for joining. Thank you for having me, Brian. Yeah, I'm excited to, to chat with you a little bit and... Uh, you know, it's always interesting. Everyone comes from so many different backgrounds and, and paths and, you know, has so many different influences. I'm curious with yours, kind of doing a little research and you'll hopefully fill in the dots a little bit or uh, the patches, if you will. I wanted to start here um, and, and I thought this would be interesting just because we always like to think we have it figured out when we're young. So I'm curious to ask you, like when you were, if you got to go back a handful of years back, like freshman year of college or senior year of high school, something like that, what were you going to be when you grew up? What was like the, what was the path for you? Did you have that figured out yet or? Yeah, I was in the accelerated dental program since I decided in high school. Okay. So, um, and I was in, so I got into accepted into it in high school. It was supposed to be three years undergrad, four years in dental school. I even took my DATs and everything. So I was going to be a dentist. Um, wasn't passionate about dentistry or anything, but you know, you have to make a career choice early on and dentistry seemed like an unexciting, but good profession, very yeah. safe. So that's what I was planning on being originally. Yeah. So, cause that's always interesting again with, you know, kind of the whole just get started podcast and everyone, like a lot of folks I talk today, whether they're in their mid twenties or thirties or forties, whatever, generally they're not doing what they were planning on doing, you know, back when they were late teens, early twenties, what have you. So what was the turning point for you? What, what changed from dentistry to obviously all this stuff you're doing today with, you know, digital marketing and, and some of the stuff you're doing with rap TV. I mean, there's so many different things that you get your hands in. When did that turning point, can you, can you share a story or two yeah. of when that happened? So um, my sophomore year of college, during winter break in December, this is 2012, I met a friend at the gym back, you know, in my hometown, and a friend from high school, and, you know, we're just catching up. He told me that he was making $45 a week on, on Twitter on his phone sending traffic from his page. I think it had like 10,000, 20,000 followers at the time. 
to various affiliate links and he was getting paid per click. And he was able to make $45 a week from his phone. So I left the gym after my, my complete, you know, mind being blown away. And I made a Twitter account in the parking lot at the gym. And that, that was my inflection point um, of, of when I started my online social media career. Um, so it was by December. By the summer, I was making $100 a day. So I didn't need to get a job. And to me, you know, I had life figured out. Um, you know, I was on the beach, I was on a golf course, making money from my phone. I'd have to get a job. It was amazing. Um, and then by the night, you know, things started ramping up. I was gaining more followers. Um, so much so that I'm, I'm, I'm essentially what, what the true inflection point was, right? Cause I wasn't going to quit my career, potential career to make a hundred dollars a day when my true, and I'm skipping a lot in between. I'm happy to go back in more detail if you want, but my true inflection point of when I decided to not be a dentist and see that you can really, I can really turn this into a noteworthy career in digital is when I launched number one, I remember seeing, I think it was my junior year of college. There was a Forbes article. It was like, Oh, meet the kids who are making a hundred thousand dollars a month on their phone from Twitter. And I was like, wow, there's people really, you know, making that much. That's crazy. So that's when I started thinking bigger. And, um, I, then I, I shortly thereafter, I created a self-serve advertising platform for people specifically on Twitter. Then we moved to Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, who had large followings. We brought advertisers. We made it very easy for these influencers and content creators to share links and essentially get paid. So I started that in May going into my senior year of college when I was studying for my DATs by August, I think we were already doing two to $300,000 a month in revenue with very large margins. So, you know, at that point, it's like, first off, it was the most miserable summer of my life studying for the DATs. I did not want to be a dentist. And, you know, you, you, you get $500,000 in debt and four years of your life and your prime gone. And it's like, we, you know, we were, I was making that in a month. So I figured, let me pursue this for a year um, after college and, and let me see what I can turn this into. And it never stopped from there. It just kept snowballing and getting bigger and bigger. So I'd, I'd never turn back. Obviously, back in 2012, that was a long time ago. You know, things were a lot different with Twitter back then and social media in general. What was like a day in the life when you were doing, you know, during May and August during the summer? Like, how were you getting paid? How were you kind of going about getting um, the affiliate links? How was that all working? So there was two main ways at the time where really most people who on Facebook and, and Twitter were using with large followings. Um, one was called my likes and one other was called cha-cha. My likes was essentially a similar platform to what I had built. It was a self-serve ad platform. Advertisers can come in, tell list how much they would pay out publishers per click and uh, a link to their, you know, a tracking link to their site. And that's it. So I was using that getting paid per click, setting traffic for my Twitter account. So the more followers I grew, the more clicks I could generate, the more money I could generate. Cha-Cha was very similar, but Cha-Cha was owned by Yahoo at the time. And it was just their own content blog, essentially just like, you know, articles. And they'd pay you out like two cents per click. But you get more, more traffic because a lot of them were clickbaity stuff. So those were my, the two ways I was monetizing at the time. Yeah, because I'm always curious, you know, especially with getting started. And you go back to that kind of maybe serendipitous moment of talking with your friend at the gym 
what made you actually, I, I'm actually curious to go back between December and May, because you said, oh, was, he was making $45 a week, I think you said. You were up to 100 a day in May. What did you do in that time frame? Like how many hours were you investing? What was the strategy from December to May to actually get started and, and get the ball rolling? Because as you know, most people may not, they might've went to their car and you know drove home and never did anything. So what made you actually do that and move forward? So it wasn't me that was making $45 a week in December. That was my friend who was making that, that told me about, that told me he was making that. Right. So I think it, I think the timeline is actually, so um, it was, I believe by actually, I don't remember if it was by that summer. No. Yeah. By that summer I was making, uh, I believe a hundred dollars a day. Yeah. That sounds about right. What did I do? I, I didn't have a, I grew up following. So I think in the first six months, I grew about 30 to 50,000 followers on Twitter and um, I was able to, to, to just how, so essentially your question is how did I grow the following? Yeah. Like um, what did you do? Were you, were you putting thing content I did, out there? Yeah. Well, zero, literally starting from zero, having no idea what I was doing. I just started following people on Twitter, followed a thousand okay. people, gained 600 followers. And I said, wow, I have it all figured out. I'm just going to do this every day and gain 600 followers. Shortly found out Twitter has an algorithm where you can't just follow unlimited amounts. So I kept doing it, you know, like I follow 300 a day, 200, then I have to unfollow people. So you're, they had like the follower to following ratio and all this stuff. So I was doing that slowly gaining followers. Then I started tweeting. So my tweets were getting, you know, retweets, favorites, et cetera, gaining followers very slowly and organically. And then what I did to start really ramping up my following is I think once I got to a few thousand followers, I started hosting giveaways. And uh, you know, one of the requirements of the giveaway to win was to follow me. So I started giving away my own stuff at first, you know, protein, this, that. As I started getting a, a little bit bigger, I started reaching out to companies, Quest Nutrition, Vitamin Shop, Bodybuilding.com, all these companies who were, uh, who, who were now giving me products to host giveaways. They were getting followers, I was getting followers, and I was getting free supplements at the same time. So it was a win, win, win. Uh, it was a fitness account I started. So that's yeah. why they're all fitness related stuff. Um, and then once I started really ramping up is when I started choosing other accounts with large followings to help me push the giveaways. So now the giveaways were getting more awareness than ever. I was getting more followers than ever. And um, that, that was really my strategy. Then once I got big enough, then I started exchanging promotions with other large accounts. You know, whatever my top tweets was, they would retweet it or shout me out. I would do the same. And that, that was really the, the strategy. But most important was consistency. Every single day I was, you know, grinding, so to speak. I didn't take a day off. So, you know, it compounds, growth compounds. Um, that's it. Well, that's all I want to get at is, is the fact that you didn't just throw out one tweet and all of a sudden the, you know, the money started to rain. Like you actually had to put some time and energy into actually getting this accomplished um, and, and pushing it forward. I, I'm actually curious. I want to take a quick sidestep because you said dental was your path and that was, you know, you had a lot of money invested in college. What were the, con were like, do you have to have conversations with your parents or other folks about, hey, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to go do this thing called Twitter and, and tweet out. And so how was that conversation? So I was lucky enough that uh, I had a full scholarship undergrad. So I didn't necessarily invest a lot of money in college. I was referring to dental school. It cost a lot of money. Okay. Um, 
But when I, when I told my family the decision that I would not be going to dental school, yeah, there was a lot of pushback. In exact paraphrase, my mom told me that I would be homeless within a year. Um, <laughs> so I did not get support from my family at all, um, you know, which made it harder, I guess. Um, but I was, I was confident in, in, in what I was doing and, um, and, you know, I already had a lot of success with the platform I discussed. So a lot of the risk was already taken out. I wasn't just like where I was in the beginning. Hey, I'm going to try to make $40 a day. You know, I, I was already making a few hundred thousand dollars a month. So, um, my, my decision was, was, was pretty confident. When did they come around the parent? When did, when did like, what, what, what? quote unquote success did you have to have of like, all right, I guess you're not going to be homeless. <laughs> I don't remember exact. I, I honestly, I had a lot of success and they still didn't come. <laughs> it took them a very, it took them a very long time to be honest. Um, I don't, I think eventually it was just like, it's like, I can, I'm on my own. Hey, I'm doing this. Like, yeah, it's working. No, like we had a pretty big operation. We still do, you know, the snow agency has almost a hundred employees. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's what I was going to say. I, I didn't know from a support because, because you started the snow agency with your brother, right? Yeah. So then it was the same conversation with my brother because my brother quit. My brother is actually a dentist. Oh, <laughs> and um, I got my brother into what I was doing when he was, he was a dentist in the air force. Um, so while, while the platform was blowing up, I got all my friends in college to essentially work for me. John had a lot of free time at it on his hands because he was a dentist in the air force or which wasn't, you know, it wasn't like nine to five, you're working nonstop. So he had a lot of free time. So he started doing it and we had a, so much success that by the time he also then went to orthodontist residency, by the time he, he finished his residency, you know, it was a similar, similar kind of circumstance that I went through. It was like, the, you know, it's, it's risk reward, the, the, the opportunity we have with the agency and what we're doing has more upside and the downside, a lot of downside risk was already taken out because the agency had already had a lot of momentum and mm-hmm. revenue and all that other stuff. So it just made more financial sense for him to pursue this than to be a dentist. But, um, yeah, my parents did not support his decision at first whatsoever either. Um, but now they're, now they're supportive. What? Let me uh, let me ask about because those conversations, especially with partnerships early on, and, and you happen to happen to be with your brother, and I, I think about this. I have a brother that's seventeen and a half months older, so we're always talking business and and you know shooting ideas back and forth. Was that when you presented this idea to him? Was it like a hell no up front, and then you had to woo him in, or was he like on board right from the beginning? Um. So he was always he was really passionate about what we were doing digitally early on. But like I said, he didn't, he was working with me for, I think four years, five years before he quit being a dentist. So like I said, I, I, I yeah, obviously I wanted him to, to quit earlier, but it, I think for him, it was just, he wanted to finish his path before he went full-time and before he considered going full-time. Mm. And, uh, and yeah, he made that decision by himself. Mm. What was the decision to, and, and again, this is maybe a pivot for you guys, but all the stuff that you were doing with, obviously with Twitter and, and compounding that, 
when did you decide to say, wait a minute, we got something bigger here. We understand digital marketing. We understand there's a lot of other platforms. When did you decide to go to a full digital agency? Because, I mean, you're doing a lot of different stuff and you maybe you give a quick background on what Snow's doing, but I know you guys are into a lot of different platforms. You help out with web development. I mean, there's a lot of things you're doing. So when was the discussion to actually pivot and do something grander, if you will? Yeah, so in 2019, from 2016 to 2019, we were operating our own direct-to-consumer brands. In 2019, we had our brands acquired. And uh, we always had people coming to us, especially because my background was, was in the platform I built. So we, were, we already had, I kind of had service industry knowledge and, and, and connections and relationships. So after I had started building my own brand and had a lot of success, I always had people reaching out to me, asking me if I could help their brands with growth. So after we sold the brands, me and John decided we wanted to test the waters in the agency environment uh, after operating our own brands for, for so many years. So that, that was uh, that, that essentially what, what the story was. What do you think has been the biggest struggle, I guess, in the last couple of years with that agency? What's been the biggest hurdle to get over? Um, I would say the, the hardest part about an age, a fast growing agency is, is the middle management component because when you're growing so fast, it's hard to find people from other organizations that can step in into a management position. Not, you know, not one, if you're growing fast, you can find multiple and to find people who have the deep industry experience and are culturally similar to your company, it's just hard to do that, very hard, difficult to do that at the, at the pace we're moving at. And it's also difficult to train people into that role in a quick enough manner as well, because you have to train them, number one, you have to train them skill-wise. After they're trained up to be competent at their job and independent and everything, and understand how the company works, operates, then you have to teach them how to be a manager. But being a manager is a whole nother, you know, just to be a manager is, you know, a very long process in its own right, arguably harder than learning the skill sets. So that's been kind of the hardest part about our business, which I think is pretty similar to really any agency out there. You're pretty much saying you couldn't promote within fast enough. So you had to bring in outside folks and it was just making sure they got, they got along. Um, with the- we, we do a bit of both. But, um, you know, there, yeah, we do a bit of both. Okay. We prefer to, we prefer to promote within though. That's, you know, how did you personally, you know, because you were obviously doing a lot of stuff on your own. You said, then you brought in some friends and, and, and your brother and stuff to help you. How did you learn how to manage people, how to be a leader, how to, you know, help people get to their next level? Like that's, that's something that takes a lot of years and a lot of things to develop. Was there any practices you went through, any development that you went through, books you read, anything particular that helped you become a better leader to run the organization? Um, yeah. Number one, making a lot of mistakes <laughs> um, early on. You know, I was definitely not, uh, I was making a lot of mistakes early on. So learning from mistakes, number one. Can you share, you share I'm going to press you on one. Can you share one or two? Can you go, go, go um, I think vulnerable, I was, I was vulnerable here? Be, 
I was just being a little too intense, I think, as a, as a leader okay. um, and not being, you know, at times as patient as I should be, you know, hold, holding everyone else to the skill level expectations I was holding myself to, but without realizing I had years further of experience and, you know, kind of just grappling with that it took me a while. But <clears throat> the second thing was that, uh, um, oh, anyways, as I was saying, so yeah, books, high output management is a phenomenal leadership book. Um, another great book I love is, um, the pursuit of excellence by Steven Schwartzman, the founder of Blackstone. He also was the founder of BlackRock. Um, other than that, I'm in many different entrepreneurial groups, like entrepreneur organization. I just joined YPO. So I'm constantly learning from others. Um, my, and pretty much all of my, my whole friend network are C and I'm not, they're not my friends because they're CEOs, but you know, you tend to relate with other people who are in mm -hmm. similar walks of life as you. So I'm con we're, you know, constantly discussing problems in my life, discuss learning about their businesses. So just taking all this, you know, this content information and trying to apply it to myself and my company, um, on an ongoing basis. So, mm -hmm. yeah. What about you? You mentioned earlier, and I'm assu I'm going to make assumptions. You obviously went to the gym. You mentioned the fitness account you started. I'm assuming fitness is a big part of your life, and and maybe working out and stuff. Can you share some routines that have been helpful? Because again, one of those things I found that in terms of getting started and keeping consistency is you have to have proper routines and, and have positive habits. Are there any that you found have been helpful for you that have, that have helped you make you more not successful necessarily, but maybe give you more energy, give you more uh, better time management, you know, you name it. Yeah. Number one, um, drinking a lot of water is very important. I have this large bottle next to me. I try to drink. No, we got the same. Tonight. I think we have, we have a similar uh, model. There. I think so. I think so. <laughs> um, that's number one. It really does make a huge impact on your energy, your skin, and most people don't drink enough water. <laughs> um, Number two, at least for me personally, everyone's body is different, but just understanding your body. So like I was eating bread, pasta, all these heavy carbs and just getting freaking fat. And once I cut all that out, I, I gained much better mental clarity, much better energy, led to overall better well-being in my life and in my work. Um, that's number two. Number three is I think just like having fitness goals. So whether it be how much weight you want to lose or and a competition you want to, you want to, you want to go for, uh, or something along those lines. So recently I started getting into triathlons. I have a triathlon coming up in a few weeks. Oh, nice. so that gives me something, you know, a reason to work out. You know, I know that on certain days, like this morning, I, uh, I might not have wanted to run, but I know that if I don't train, then I will embarrass myself. So, um, I, I I'm a big proponent on that. Or even, you know, having a vacation, like that's something we're, you know, getting ready for a vacation, whatever it is. And, and a lot of it sounds like you're just doing this for an image, but like for, for me personally, working like health is wealth, the, the old, as the old saying goes. And whenever I'm in my best shape, I'm also in the best shape mentally as well. Um, so that's a huge part of my life. But um, yeah, other than that, that's really it in terms of uh, what I, what I do uh, fitness wise, and then just you know getting in a consistent fitness routine. You don't have to do anything crazy, but um, just doing something where you're consistent. Consistency is everything. Yeah, when, when you mentioned 
kind of getting away. I was going to actually wanted to get your thoughts on that, especially when you're growing you know, rapidly growing business very quickly, you know, a hundred employees, you said in two years, you, know, you have a lot going on. When do you, I don't know how you would answer this, but like, when do you know you have to get away? And then when do you also ultimately, I guess, can, how do you kick yourself to get actually back? Cause sometimes you go too far, right. And we're like, I don't want to do anything. You know, it's, but we got to energize ourselves and motivate us. Do you have ever have that struggle of like, I need to get away for a while and then have trouble getting actually back into it. Or is that a lot easier for you? Um, no, not necessarily. I mean, there's definitely times where I like binge, but I try not to cheat like on diets and routines, et cetera, for the exact reason you just said, it's very hard. It's very hard to get back into the routine. Um, and it's, it's it, so for that reason, like I, I try to, I try to be as consistent as possible. Well, so I guess what you're saying, if, if you keep up, especially cause I'm big on that too. If you keep up the fitness, even if it's a few times a week, if you keep up your nutrition, you're never going to fall off multiple weeks of new, doing it bad because you're, you're keeping that consistent schedule. You may go one or two days, but at least you're getting back on the, is it on the wagon or off the wagon, whatever the turn, but you're getting back on. And you're, uh, you're riding forward, I'm assuming. So being able to actually keep, keep consistent with all that stuff is, is definitely important. Um, by the way, this is a weird aside, but I'm going to ask it because I'm big in nutrition. When you said you cut out the bread and pastas and all that stuff, did you just do that from like, hey, I don't feel good when I eat this stuff and you started to slowly cut out? Or did you do actually any testing to get to know like what your gut health was? What are, what are some of those things? If there was allergies, did you do any deep testing on that? Yeah, I, I did a few things. I did like biome, which is like a gut testing thing. Okay. Um, but it just, all I learned was that I can't eat anything. That's what it told me. I can't eat vegetables, <laughs> can't eat meat, can't, I, I can't eat anything. So I didn't, it was hard for me to follow that. <laughs> um, I would, for me, it was just more so something I'm aware of when I ever, I ate bread, pasta, et cetera. I, I always knew I felt sluggish. I felt disgusting after. So something, and, and I knew whenever I dropped, those uh foods for my diet i would always lose tons of weight so it's something i was aware of but you know it's it's, it's hard you know they, they say uh i think wheat is more addicting than than nicotine or something mm -hmm. like crazy like that so it was very you know although i was aware of it, it was hard for me to fully stop doing it so yeah so I want, I want to chat just a couple more questions for you um, and really around the getting started. And let's take two angles. So first is give me your insight into digital marketing in today. Cause obviously that's, and that's why I was peppering you a little bit on 2012. Obviously the game's changed a ton in nine years. What are some things? So someone's starting their business, they're trying to get out there. They're, they're not sure of the landscape. What are some things you would consider them to look at in terms of a digital marketing strategy or plan? Is there any one or two at least helpful nudges in a direction? I think the most important thing for, for people who are advertising, which is just like not always the biggest focus, which is shocking, is content. Um, having a good, you know, and, and especially even if you're hiring an agency, et cetera, um, at least, so, you know, being able to work with the agency and stuff, because if you're just, if you want the agency to just do everything, it's very, very, very expensive. Mm -hmm. So there has to be some things, in my opinion, as an agency or a brand owner um, that, that you handle and have competencies in. And in my opinion, that is influencer marketing and content creation. Uh, you know, the ability to get content from, 
influencers, your, your followers, your customers, et cetera. If you're doing these two things, it gives you such a massive advantage in the ability to, to grow your brand online. So I think these are, are the two most important things. What's your philosophy on, you know, kind of going deep into what, like, let's say, hey, go on LinkedIn and only go on there and put content out and share and comment and do all that stuff versus kind of all the major platforms. Are you an advocate of kind of get out there and spread everything or yeah. go deep? And you know, I, whenever, personally, I make a post on Twitter, I repurpose it for LinkedIn, post on Facebook. If, if you know, I, I might send it to my, my uh, team to post it on our agency's Instagrams. So just re you know, and, and the thing is there's different people on each platform. Each platform also has a different algorithm. So based your content performs, you know, could perform drastically different on each. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no reason why you shouldn't be taking one content you make for one platform and, and repurposing it for all of them. Um, in fact, it goes quite a long way. Like, you know, I've, you know, Twitter, if it's getting 10,000 views, I've seen it get 15,000 views on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Another, you know, on my Facebook, my personal, it doesn't give me insights, but could imagine, let's say an, another thousand. So you went from 10,000 to 25,000. Um, and you doubled it just by copying and pasting, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's no reason why everyone shouldn't post on every platform, because if you're making content for one, odds are you can definitely just repurpose that for another with very minimal effort. Mm-hmm. And I guess that comes down to two, like, you know, decision-making. How, how do you coach your, um, your clients on making the right decisions? Again, and maybe you guys help them and do a lot of this stuff for them, but you know, sometimes again, some folks are just spraying and purring out there. They're not, they're not being thoughtful about the content. They're not um, kind of understanding what the end game is. So how much in terms of decision-making on yes. Okay. We want you to post on all of them, but these are the type of content you should be looking at in these platforms. Can you give any insight in there in terms of helping folks navigate the type of content they should be putting out uh, on various platforms? And is this or for organic or for paid? Well, I mean, I guess it, I guess it could be for both. You could take maybe the angle that's best. I was thinking more organic, um, getting people start out there. They may not have a budget yet to get paid, but they want to get to that point. Um, so kind of curious on both, but I guess I was thinking more organic. I think the, the best thing to do is, is to just find other um, people who are, who are similar to what you're trying to accomplish and see what works for them. You know, especially for starting from scratch, they have the data. You can visibly see it. You can see what content works, the templates, because every type of content has some sort of template which you can emulate, Hmm. whether it's paid or organic. So simply doing that goes a very long way, you know? So that that would be my my example. I mean, uh, what what I I would recommend. So let's go back and you can go back to your, the accelerated dental program that you were going to get into senior year of high school and into college, or we can take it even further back. But if someone's getting started, if they're, if they're like, you know, what, I got to make a move, I got to do something different. Is there a piece of advice, you know, now that you maybe didn't know then that's been the most impactful um, on your life over the last, you know, let's say 10 years or something like that. Anything you'd share is kind of like, Hey, if you think about this, if you put it as a post-it note on your computer, it's going to help you along the way. I would say number one, there's a few things. Number one, drop the ego. Um, don't be scared to reach out to people and say, I don't know what, you know, I don't, I don't have the answers. Can you help? Many people won't do that. And even employees sometimes too are scared to ask, Mm -hmm. but simply just asking questions and seeking it out from other leaders 
goes such a long way. And the faster you, you know, you drop your ego and, 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 and are accepted, accepted with, you know, with, with that, the fast, the faster you learn, the, the faster you can have success, everything. So that's number one, I think is, is, is many people can, can, uh, resonate with. The second thing I would say is, um, don't be scared to hire talented people and make that investment because there's going to be compromise somewhere. And early on, especially, even though you might not have the money for it, if you're trying to essentially like train everyone simultaneously, it's going to be the, the compromise is going to be you, you know, it's going to be you having to manage them and be completely spread thin. So trying to get leaders early on in your organization is key for scaling or else you're always going to be trying to play catch up. So that's another mistake I've made many times. Um, yeah, those are, those are two. Yeah. The ego is a huge thing. That's a, have you ever read ego is the enemy by Ryan holiday? No, I haven't. It's a great book, but that, that, I was, it, it was top of mind because I just read it a, a couple months back. And it was just one, it kind of one of those things about how, yeah, if we drop the ego and just kind of have a different perspective on life, it's just amazing how it opens our doors to new things, again, that we never would have actually um, encountered before. So, yeah, great insight there. We're, uh, if everyone wants to say hello to you online, where do you, where do you want them to go? Where's the best spot for them to uh, give you a shout uh, Twitter, my, 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 uh, name on Twitter is I am Dan snow. If you want to follow me on Instagram, it's dapper D a P P E R. Um, or if you want to shoot me an email, it's Dan at the snow agency.com. So yeah. And, and give me just a quick background for folks again, that may have some interest from the snow agency. You guys work a lot of direct to consumer, but is that, are you working with every type of business? Is there a certain kind of a category that's best that, that you found is the best clients or no, we're, we're pretty agnostic to the type of brand we work with within the e-commerce industry. Um, you know, it, it really could be selling anything because the process is the exact same thing. We leverage a lot of market research to allow us to create the content, which is how we're able to, to be consistent and get success in many different industries within e-commerce. So yeah. Awesome. Well, man, that's been a lot of fun. I, uh, I know we, I always get scattered with these things and go on these tangents. So I appreciate you, you hanging along with it. Um, thanks again for being on and, uh, and I certainly appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you for having me, Brian. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that great interview and thanks again for stopping by. And just one more quick thing before you run along in your day. If you were looking for some more resources, some more insight, you know, inspiration, things that get you going a little bit further on your journey, feel free to head over to my website, brianondraco.com forward slash subscribe, and you can sign up for my weekly newsletter that comes out. That's more of a digest of a lot of information that I discover throughout the week, whether it's a new podcast I listen to, or maybe it's a great follow online that's very insightful or a video I came across. I put that in a digestible form that you get once a week as well as I blog three times a week. And these are very micro-type blogs, one- to five-minute reads. They hit your inbox Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning and maybe give you a little dose of inspiration to get you going on your day. So feel free to sign up for those if it's something you might find as value. Thanks again for listening in. I hope you guys have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.